Hi and welcome to the From Campus Careers podcast. My name is Adam and I'll be your host for today's episode and joining me will be Jim, one of our careers consultants from the team. We're going to be talking about all things cover letters, so right the way from what is a cover letter, when you should use one and how best to present one. So without further ado, we'll get started. Hi Jim, thanks for joining us today. Can I ask you to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us um, a little bit about what you do at Aston? Hi Adam, it's great to be back, so thanks for having me here once again. So yeah, if you haven't met me before, I'm one of the careers consultants in the team here. So we've got about seven or eight careers consultants and we do a lot of frontline work with students, undergraduates, postgraduates and graduates as well. So we put on a lot of different appointments to help you individually on a one-to-one basis and we can do those face-to-face or virtually online. You can book those through Aston Futures. And we all have individual responsibilities working with different groups of students or different cohorts at undergrad level or postgrad level in different courses and within different colleges as well. So my particular remit, I do a lot of work with master's level students and also PhD students as well. And I also support master's students beyond their studies for the first three years after they complete their time here at Aston as well. Great. So uh, as I mentioned in the intro to the episode, today's episode is going to be all around cover letters. So we'll start with the most basic question. What is a cover letter? Okay, so a cover letter is essentially your way of introducing yourself to the employer. And it's something which should be professional in format, so no more than a side of A4 in length. And there's certain formatting rules that we'll talk about a bit later on with that. And it manages the understanding of the recipient of your CV. So quite often we think, you know, do I need to send a cover letter or not? If you're sending your CV off to an organisation, put yourself in the position of the recipient. If they just suddenly receive a CV out of the blue with no explanation, what are they to make of it? So a cover letter is your means of managing the recipient's understanding of why they've received your CV in the first place. And then it goes into a bit more depth as well. So it starts to identify why you've applied to that particular organisation. It might explain a bit about how you match with that organisation as well, some of the relevant skills and things that you've got. So it's going to encourage them to then have a look on at the CV that you sent with that as well, to want to find out more about you. Now, there are many situations that a, uh, a cover letter may not be relevant or uh, may be relevant. So when would I opt to use a cover letter in my um, application for a role? Okay, so let's say that you've gone to Aston Futures. Quick uh, encouragement here for people to go on to Aston Futures and have a look at some of the advertised roles that we have on there. So let's say that you've browsed and you've seen a role that's advertised on there. It says to apply for this position, please submit your CV to whomever it might be. So first thought you might have is, great, I'll just ping over my CV with no explanation whatsoever because that's the instruction. As I say, if you do that, then they aren't necessarily going to understand why you're sending it over because you don't know what other roles they might be advertising at the same time. It might be that they've actually got a managing director position open and they might get your CV and think, this individual's applying to be a managing director, which isn't what you're going for. So it's really important that if some if there's an instruction there on a job advert to send your CV, you always send a cover letter with it. Now, you don't always need to send a cover letter at other times though. So for example, I know there's gonna be a separate um, podcast about applications, 
But if you have an instruction to complete an online application form for an opportunity, it might give you space on there to submit your CV as a supporting document and you can upload that. In those situations, you wouldn't need to include a cover letter because the application form you've completed online will explain what it is you're applying for and your CV is just complementing that application form. Um, any other times when you might need to send a cover letter? Okay, sometimes, and again, I think we're going to talk about this a bit later on, sometimes you might not be applying for an advertised position. You might be making what we call a speculative inquiry. So you might be approaching an organization to see if they have something that would be suitable for you or which you could do for them. So again, under those circumstances, it's absolutely crucial that you provide a cover letter because if they're not even advertising a role and they receive your CV through the post, they're just going to be sitting there scratching their heads thinking, they sent this to the right address. So again, you need to put yourself in the position, position of the recipient and manage their understanding. Great, so uh, what should a cover letter look like? What should be included? How long should it be roughly? I think you spoke a little bit more, uh, a little bit earlier around potentially one side, um, but what kind of point should be covered within a cover letter? Okay, so as with any communication that you undertake with a, a potential recruiter, your cover letter is going to demonstrate how professional you are, how committed you are. It's going to demonstrate that you do have a good eye for detail. If you are slapdash in this, you don't take care with it, then again, think what the impression is that that's going to give to the recruiter who receives it. So it's really important. It's a professional format. So when we think about professional format, we think about going a bit old school here. We think about literally writing your postal address in the top right of the letter. We think about having the recipient's contact details in the top left of the letter. We might have a line there that says, regarding or re-colon and the position title for which you're applying. Obviously, you need to have the date on there as well. And then you might address it. Now, when I say address it, address it with a title on there. So it depends on what the uh, contact details are that you've been provided with for the opportunity for which you're applying. So if it says, for example, um, email your CV to Yvonne Smith, then Yvonne is a female name. So you want to sound professional, so you might put Dear Ms. Smith at the top of the letter. And if you start with someone's name there, then at the bottom of the letter, always make sure that you close with yours sincerely. However, it might also say on there, um, send your CV to the hiring manager. Now, if it says to the hiring manager, you have no idea who that person might be. So you might say, dear sir slash madam. If you do that, then finish with yours faithfully at the bottom. We did have a question the other day in the careers and placements team about what if someone might be non-binary, for example. So rather than saying dear sir slash madam, you could actually just address it to dear hiring manager or dear recruiting manager, for example, and finish again with yours faithfully at the bottom. If you're doing this, then think about what this means. So we said, yeah, ideally no more than the single side of A4 for the cover letter. So if you're going to have some space at the top for those addresses, the recipient's address and your address, and some space at the bottom where... You say yours sincerely or yours faithfully and a little space for your name there. That means that you're left with between half a side and two thirds of a side of A4 in which to actually populate it with some meaningful text and to introduce yourself to them. So you've only got limited space there in which to do that. So that's how the overall cover letter should look. And I think in a minute, perhaps you'll delve a bit deeper into what some of that content should be like. Absolutely. So I guess moving um, swiftly into that next uh, question, what should that look like, that middle section there where we're uh, looking at the, 
kind of main bulk of the cover letter, what should we be covering? Should it should it be completely different to what's in our CV? Should we be pulling things from our CV and highlighting them in there? What really should we be including within that cover letter? Okay, so it's, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking that, Adam. I think that um, we have to appreciate the audience here. So we know that in some instances that um, the same person will look at the CV and the cover letter. In some instances, um, perhaps the HR department might retain the cover letter whilst the CV goes off to the department where you might be working as well. So the advice that I tend to give to people, and again, I appreciate different people give different advice here, but my feeling is that if there's a little bit of overlap and duplication between what's in the cover letter and what's in the CV, that's not a terrible thing because it piques people's interest, encourages them to look for further detail and further information on the CV itself. So don't worry if there's a little bit of overlap there. Now, in terms of the content, let's just think about going through in stages. Your motivation has to be apparent throughout the course of your cover letter. So you know, why you're actually applying for this opportunity and your passion needs to be there. But it needs to be substantiated with some evidence there. Don't just throw away cliches that anyone could put into a cover letter. So if we go through in logical order, the first thing you need to do is have perhaps a very short paragraph that simply explains what you're applying for. So, dear whomever, I'm writing to apply for the position of X as advertised on the Indeed website or whatever it might be. That's always quite useful as well for the employer because invariably most employers who advertise roles will be advertising in a number of different locations. So if you're telling them where you sort of advertise, that's going to help them understand what most people are using and where they're getting most traction in terms of their adverts as well. So once you've done that, then perhaps in the next paragraph, you might start to focus a bit more on why you're applying for this opportunity and demonstrate you've undertaken a bit of research as well. So you might identify that I'm applying for the, um, sorry, you said already which position you're applying for. You might identify that you're applying to this organization because you're particularly interested in their projects relating to A, B, and C. And then you provide some context to that as well. So again, any applicant can say they're interested in what it says you do on the website, but it's contextualizing that to you. So it might be that you have a passion for environmental sustainability and you're applying to this civil engineering organization because they're embracing sustainable production techniques and you can demonstrate how that aligns with you. Remember that when you apply, particularly for a graduate role, those recruiters, are seeing in you the potential to work for them for a long period of time. They want to get some good return on their investment. And they know that the people who will be the best ambassadors for them are people who share their values, who have the same mindset that they do. So if you're contextualizing this to you and you're showing how you align with their values, etc., that's going to get them on board. So that's perhaps the next paragraph you have there. After that, you'll have another paragraph and you might start alluding to some evidence that demonstrates you fulfill their requirements. So with the job description, the person specification, you can start to see what some of the key duties are that you might be undertaking and also what some of the key strengths and skills are that that employer might be seeking in their ideal candidate. So what you can do then is start thinking, okay, which are the highest priority ones? You can mention a couple of those in there with evidence as well. So if, for example, they want a good team player who's also good problem solver, you might identify that my experience whilst undertaking degree X at Aston University included project A, where I was working with a team of seven other people to create um, a nuclear reactor 
that would power an entire city powered by a peanut. And you would then, um, just going to do a bit more detail about some of the problems that you overcame to do that. So that's going to show them how you align. You've actually got relevant experience that demonstrates you align with what they are seeking there. And then the final paragraph, you would just wrap up quite succinctly, thanking them for their time and saying that you hope to hear back from them soon. Now, I appreciate that four paragraphs might not always work. I was going to mention that actually there's a really useful tool. Um, if you go on, to, well, sorry, not to a website. If you go onto Prospects, which is a good careers advice and guidance website, just www.prospects.ac.uk. Um, it's got lots of good stuff on there. And if you go to the careers application section on there, um, have a look at their CVs and cover letter section. Within the cover letter section, you'll see the structure I've just talked about outlined there, and you'll see an example cover letter as well. So that can be quite helpful to have a look at and just reiterate some of what I've been saying. Whilst I'm just talking about websites, just one other thing to flag up as well. Um, there's another tool we've got here at Aston called Aston360. If you go onto the Aston Careers webpage, so aston.ac.uk forward slash careers, and goes all the way down to the bottom and go on to our online tools and into Aston360, we've got lots of videos and things in there which are really useful. There's some great video insights from employers. And there is actually a video that I use in some of the workshops that I deliver with my students where employers are being interviewed about whether or not I actually need to have a cover letter. Um, and if it's okay for me to just sort of explain this, Adam, yep. one thing that I didn't mention earlier on in answer to your question about when should I use a cover letter and when should I not use a cover letter, in that video, um, they do make a distinction between whether you're applying direct to an individual organisation or whether you're applying to an agency. So quite frequently, we will encourage people who've perhaps got a limited amount of experience to consider applying to an agency for fixed term work, etc., to get their experience up to speed before they apply for a full graduate role. If you're applying to an agency, you're not applying to an individual employer, so you can't tailor a cover letter in the same way. And normally you'll have someone who's going to be your point of contact at the agency. So actually you don't normally need to have a cover letter when you apply to an agency. What you'll do instead is provide your CV and then have a dialogue with the person there so they understand what you're looking for, what you can bring, and then they will cascade it out to their various appropriate employers. Perfect. So uh, I think what I'll do in order best to share that link is um, if I can ask you, Jim, to maybe send that over a little bit later and I'll include it in the show notes of the episode. Absolutely. Great stuff. So um, we mentioned a little bit earlier about speculative cover letters and you, you went into quite a lot of detail there around what a cover letter should look like. How, how different would a speculative cover letter look compared to a typical cover letter? Okay, so the reason that we talk about speculative letters is we know that a lot of organisations out there might not be advertising roles. Um, I just want to distinguish between the larger recruiters out there. So we might think about multinational recruiters. We might think what we call the blue chips as well. Okay, those represent only a small proportion of employers in the UK. 99% um, of recruiters in the UK are what we call SMEs. Uh, we do love a good acronym, and SME is an acronym. It stands for small to medium-sized enterprise, and that means that they've got few, uh, fewer than 250 employees and a turnover of less than 50 million euros per annum. Actually, the vast majority of SMEs are what we call micro-SMEs that have 20 or fewer employees. So when we think about it, they don't have graduate schemes. They often don't have 
opportunities they'll be advertising, they expect to be contacted by people speculatively, people who are seeking opportunities. They might have some project work that needs to be undertaken. They might have a variety of different things there. So with a speculative cover letter, it's really important. You are, again, professional, you're focused, and you demonstrate a bit of knowledge about the organization. So you would say in that first paragraph, uh, writing to see if you might have any opportunities, and you would tailor that accordingly. So for example, you might be writing to see if you have any project opportunities that might enable me to use my R and C++ coding skills to contribute to the work you're undertaking. So you've been quite specific there. In the next paragraph, you might then go into a bit more depth about how you've developed those skills. You might give a link to perhaps a GitHub account or another online portfolio where the recruiter or the employer could see examples of what you've done previously. And you might also then talk a little bit more about um, why you're applying to that particular organization as well, what research you've done about them, what is it that resonates for you about them and what they stand for as well. So you're reassuring them that you understand the kind of projects you could be involved with if they do have something to which you could contribute. And you might also then explain subsequently about some of the things you do in your spare time that might demonstrate some of the skills you've got that align with what they do as well. And then you would wrap up. Is that... Okay. Yeah, definitely. I think we were talking a little bit earlier around around this section here, around specifically the letters, around the power of LinkedIn um, in, in that situation. Can you maybe expand a little bit about what we were talking about earlier? Absolutely. So LinkedIn is invaluable. There was um, a book published last year by a couple called Tupper and Ellis, and it's called The Squiggly Career. And it's for career changes in the 21st century. So people beyond university might be changing their careers. And two of the key messages that it really emphasized there are the power of being self-aware and knowing what they tell your super strengths are, so what you can bring to an organization, which aligns with knowing what you can bring and identifying that in the cover letters, and also the power of networking as well and using things like LinkedIn. So with LinkedIn, I would really encourage you, if you're gonna start approaching some organizations speculatively, make sure you've got a LinkedIn profile. So go onto the Careers and Placements website, download our guide to creating a LinkedIn profile and do that. And then when you've got a profile on your computer, in the LinkedIn search bar, look for the particular organization that you're interested in. Go to that um, organization's page. It'll say how many people there have a LinkedIn profile. Have a look at the profiles for the people there and identify um, someone who looks most relevant and appropriate for what you're wanting to do. So if there's, rather than approaching the managing director, for example, if there's someone who's working in a particular department, who might have a project of interest to you, connect with them initially. So if you see their profile there, click on the connect button. Don't simply send the default connection message because they don't know who you are. So you've got the opportunity on there to click on the add note button. You can use up to 300 characters to tailor your connection request and explain that you want to connect with them so you can send them a bit more information to have a chat about any projects to which you could contribute. Once they accept that, then you can think, well, okay, I could physically send my CV and cover letter in the post. I could send it by email. Or alternatively, perhaps I could send it as a message with the CV as an attachment there as a PDF. So you've got different options you could pursue. But the benefit of doing this is that you'll have had an initial dialogue. You'll be known to them. So you'll, you'll be a warm connection. They're expecting you to get in touch. And that can be really, really beneficial when you're looking at um, exploring some of those speculative opportunities out there. Definitely. Yeah, LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. And I think especially in these um, early stages when you're considering... Um, where you might want to look and exploring industries and exploring different roles and employers that such a powerful tool to be able to gain those kind of early insights and advantages over 
um, what the plane speculative applications might look like. Absolutely. I think just picking up, um, I mentioned earlier on at the very start when I introduced myself that I'm one of several careers consultants here. Um, one of the things that the careers consultants do is put on a variety of workshops throughout the course of the term. And some of those workshops are themed around things such as LinkedIn. And we focus not only on creating a LinkedIn profile and optimizing it, but also how to use things like the alumni tool, etc. on there as well. So if you have any uncertainties or concerns about using LinkedIn, please do consider booking onto one of those workshops. So I know that sometimes it can be quite a daunting prospect to start connecting with people who aren't other students and who are actually out there in industry. Don't forget, these people were where you are not so long ago. They appreciate what it's like to go through all of that. But if you feel it would be of benefit, please do book onto one of those workshops. We'd be only too happy to help you. Most definitely. So I think, I'm just going to interrupt you if I may, Adam. So I just want to mention one other tool which could be really useful. Um, particularly if you're submitting speculative applications, it's really, really important to ensure that you're well organized. And I often encourage people to create what I term an application tracker. It might sound really technical. It's not. Don't panic. Um, just using Microsoft Word or Excel, just create a table and make sure that for every application that you make, so particularly speculative applications, note down the date, Note down the name of the organization to which you've submitted the letter and your CV. Note down perhaps the title of the person there. Note down as well um, whether or not you've heard anything back. And perhaps after a couple of weeks, bite the bullet and contact them again. Now at this point, I really encourage students with whom I work to pick up the phone and maybe give that person a call. Now bear in mind that these are busy people. They won't always have had time to get back to you. So if you say, Oh, hi, yeah, um, I sent you um, a cover letter and a CV a couple of weeks ago. I just wondered if there's a chance we could have a chat about that, see if you might have any projects available. They might then say, okay, let's have a quick chat now, or let's arrange a chat in a week's time or whatever. But following up like that can be really, really beneficial. If you just send out speculative letters and a CV and you don't follow up, then you won't have as much success as you might be hoping for. It can sometimes seem like a negative exercise, but that following up and being professional with it as well can be really helpful. Again, if you have any concerns about how to conduct yourself and the etiquette for that and it's worrying you slightly, book an appointment with a careers consultant through Aston Futures. Have a chat with us and we'll give you some hints and tips there as to how you can really make it work for you as well. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, as I said, I think we've really covered what a cover letter should include. But is there anything that you would advise students to definitely not include within a cover letter? I think, again, remember who the audience is. So you're approaching someone who is professional. They are reading this in addition to everything else that they do as well. You're not best mates with them. So don't be too informal with them. Be deferential. If you can call them Mr. or Ms. or whomever it might be, or you can acknowledge their standing there, dear recruiting officer, whomever, be professional in that way. Be courteous. Ensure that you don't use things like text speak, for example. I know I speak with students sometimes and they say, no, it's fine just to use abbreviations left, right and center, everything else. It's not. Again, what you are or the way in which you're communicating in your cover letter is going to reflect the way you would communicate if you were successful in your application and you are representing that organization to their stakeholders. If there is anything that's at all unprofessional there, that is going to reflect poorly on you. And the other thing is, again, remember, you've only got between half a side and two thirds of a side 
in which to write all of the information, you know, the body content there. It needs to be tailored for each opportunity. Don't use a scattergun approach. It's not one size fits all. We get feedback from employers where they say to us, I can see they haven't tailored this. If they did a bit of research about us, they'd know that we don't do what they've said here. We actually focus on this part of the industry instead. So no, I'm not going to consider this any further. So we take a balanced approach and we sometimes use that mantra of less is more. So rather than sending off a hundred speculative applications all looking exactly the same with no tailoring, send 20 off instead, but use that extra time to tailor them towards the audience instead. And you'll actually get more traction from that and better results as a consequence. Thank you, Jim. And I think that's a really good place to wrap up the episode. I think uh, we really covered quite a lot there. Um, what I will do is uh, I'll put all of the links to the relevant um, cover letter tools and resources that we mentioned in this episode into the show notes. So thank you again, Jim, for joining us on this episode. Thank you. Pleasure um, to be here. No problem. And thank you to everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next one.